Under the Tartan Sky, Episode 20, produced 5 December 2015. Music is an integral part of Scottish heritage, and by music, I don't mean just the great Highland bagpipes. Bards who acted at once as musicians, poets, and storytellers often traveled the countryside, sharing the oral history of the times in the form of song. Traditional Scottish folk music stretches back many generations into medieval times. In a moment, here under the tartan sky, we'll meet some modern-day bards, singer-songwriters from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, USA, who celebrate their very Scottish heritage in music. Caught up in the mystic and spellbinding saga that is Outlander, Wishing you could be swept away over the sea to sky? Why not come and visit Claire and Jamie's world? It's a land of standing stones, shimmering lochs, and great glens that stretch to the horizon and beyond. Outlander, whether in books or on TV, is Scotland. Come and visit the breathtaking landscapes Walk the historic castle grounds, listen for the skirl of the pipes through the thickening mists. You can travel through time when you visit and experience Scotland. You would expect to find traditional Scottish folk music in Scotland, played often at lively Cayleys following a day at the Highland Games, or as a post-wedding celebration, or even just a lively night at the pub. You might not expect to find a traditional Scottish band in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, where Cajun Zydeco is the popular music that people go out to and dance all night on a Saturday night, but such a band can be found there, and its name is Smithfield Fair. Dudley Bryan Smith, his wife Jan, and brother Bob are Smithfield Fair. The trio have been performing together for 40 years, have released 30 albums. Their music is a blend of traditional Scottish songs coming directly from their family roots and original numbers that are often mistaken for age-old Scottish classics. The group has performed at venues as large as the World's Fair and as intimate as a wee coffee shop. With Dudley Bryan on guitar and mandolin, Jan on the piano accordion, and Bob on bass, their sound is unmistakably acoustic, highlighted by three-part harmonies that one reviewer described as sweet as, quote, hot buttered biscuits with syrup, yes ma'am, end quote. I first met the band in my role as MC for the Scottish Society of the Louisiana Highlands annual Tartan Fest in Minden, Louisiana. Later, on a summer's eve, we gathered round a table in the back office of Bob's antique store in Alexandria, Louisiana, to talk about music and Scotland. I began our roundtable discussion by asking each, Bob, Jan, and Dudley Bryan, to share with me their earliest musical influences. Hmm, well, 
I mean, we listen to the radio, and, and, and growing up in a family of six people, you're kind of, uh, you're listening to your older brother and sister's music a lot. So we started hearing, you know, everything from how much is that doggy in the window to stuff on the radio. And I guess the, the, the biggest influence this beginning was when we'd uh, uh, sing along with Mitch, uh, Hoot Nanny, and you get uh, Peter, Paul, and Mary, the folky movie mm-hmm. that came along. And to me, really the association, oddly enough, that was um, kind of uh, the harmonies and stuff that came out of that. Uh, I confess to liking the Turtles and some of the other groups like that, Peter and Gordon and, and uh, of course, Simon and Garfunkel. Sure. And we were kind of smitten with harmonies in there. And, uh, and I wanted to play the drums, which decidedly went against anything anybody else thought. So... Uh, <laughs> and so I wanted to learn to play the guitar, and then that was ripped out of my hands, and a four-string instrument called a bass was stuck in there, and so I went from there. But uh, but I would say probably the the association. I remember the first time I heard them come on the the radio with a uh, "Along Comes Mary." Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was just the the harmonies on there, and they were really they really worked their harmonies on there. And uh, so, I, yeah, I guess that's probably my influence. I think I, I fell in love, I think, for the first time to cherish. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I remember distinctly a high school girlfriend and coming back from the beach in uh, southeast Texas and, and listening to Cherish and, yeah, special we, songs. We got to we got to work, this is just an aside, but we got to have Terry Kirkman, the writer of Cherish and the recorder player, uh, and one of the singers for the association, to play on one of our albums, really, uh, years later, which was a, 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 a an amazing charge. Oh, yeah, he had yeah. not done anything like that in decades. Uh, he was a, a, a drug and alcohol counselor uh, at a prominent uh, group in L.A. and and we were able to ask him, I guess, at the right moment, and he did it, and it was brilliant. Oh, I bet. And he was sick when he did it, so it must have been important enough for him to do because he came out of sick bed to do it. And so, kind of neat, though. Yeah. Okay. So, let's continue around. Jan, I'm sorry. We probably should have let you go first. We should have let ladies first. Well, thank you, but that's not necessary. It's hard to say. There's so many influences, but uh, early church music, uh, being in children's choirs, uh, really set me with an ear for harmony. And to this day, I've, I've never enjoyed being a soloist. I always want harmony there. So uh, harmonies are big. I, funny you mentioned Mitch Miller because I love the, the harmonies there. When I was a young teen, being able to play the guitar was a thing. Everybody was learning yes. the guitar. And, you yeah. know, I, I think Gloria was my first song I learned on there. <laughs> the three chords, and, you know, you just thought you were just really taking off with it. First band I was uh, ever in, we did uh, a Jerry Lewis telethon in Beaumont, Texas, where I grew up. And what did we play? Gloria. Gloria. <laughs> and probably Wild Thing, the same three chords. Yeah, same three chords. <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, but um, yeah. I did... Uh, thoroughly enjoy the guitar that I had a, a, a girl who was my friend and we uh, did duets at festivals and uh, we liked uh, the the female guitarists too were very uh, influential on me Bonnie Raitt, Joni Mitchell, uh, Emmylou Harris uh, and then as a vocalist Linda Ronstadt, the Eagles with their harmonies mm. and then you know it was Judy Collins though that really focused on those early Celtic the British songs, and I felt very drawn to them. 
and learned a lot of those. So it was just a, a, a big journey of radio and albums. And my mother's, uh, she had a lot of piano books from the hits of the 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s. And I would play through those. She put me in piano when I was six. So I had a classical background. Uh, and then she had the fun book, so it was the... <laughs> <laughs> the fun book that was always hidden in the piano oh, stool yes, under all the yes. other formal stuff. So, so I have a, a wide range of songs that I really know that are deeply influential, I mean, that are peculiar because I could read these mu- the music, these Broadway tunes and Moon River and things like that. So it's uh, it all sort of goes in the big melting pot. So, Dudley? I was sick as a child a lot. And the first thing that I really remember is my grandmother humming hymns. My dad had an organ in his room, an old pump organ, and he would play hymns. So that's really the first thing. But I got back from the hospital after a, a, a monumental stay. I was about two years old, and they had a little Bakelite radio beside the bed, and it seemed like every five minutes they played the Lennon Sisters' Sugar in the Morning. <laughs> and I think that song probably set the pattern for me as much as anything. Uh, but, when, you know, we were, we were alive during the folk boom, or as Taylor Caffrey calls them, the folk scare. Uh, but we were, you know, that was, all that was on television, but the coffeehouse circuit didn't get to, to Alexandria for late. And my sister and I made the rounds of them. My sister Kate and I would sing... Together as a duo, uh, we went to all these places. I played guitar, and she would sing, and she had a beautiful voice. We sang in all the big, you know, the, the big uh, hoot nanny groups at the mm-hmm. end of the night. Everybody got together, and we would we would sing in those. So that was a lot of fun. And then when I got a little older, I was really influenced by the music that my dad listened to. He had been a swing musician. My mother was a singer in standards, the same orchestras and things. And so we heard a lot of that. They played those records in the house, old 78s. Glenn Miller. And, yeah, Glenn Miller and, and the Dorsey Brothers and, and all of those, uh, Red Nichols. And, and they, they really, you know, opened sort of the door for us. And then, of course, bands and church choirs and school choirs and things all the way through. And then by the time I got to high school um, in the 70s, I was never really influenced by the Beatles. I, I kind of missed all that. Uh, it was the association that got me. Where were you? I, in my own head. <laughs> How did you miss the I, Beatles? You know, I don't know because all of the people that are, are my friends today, that are some, they're all Beatles fanatics. Yeah. David Pratt certainly is, and he's one of the most instrumental people in my musical life. He's been our partner and engineer for over 30 years. Well, I think it's because we went down the folk route. I mean, a lot of our stuff was more towards folk and that kind of stuff, which the Beatles weren't, you know. Sure, it's right. True. And so by the time we got with those, yeah. I mean. Well, the, the, the most important Beatles album to me was Rubber Soul, yeah. which was their folkiest album. That's, yeah. the, that's where I intersected as I went by. But the association got me because they came out of folk rock and they had all of those harmonies. They wrote their own songs, and I thought that was the most amazing thing, the, the diversity within that group. And that's kind of where I spun off from there. And, and what it did was it instilled in me, that and the folk boom instilled in me, the desire to create my own music. Into that, my grandmother, who was very proud of her Scottish heritage, taught me a lot of the songs that we started out doing when we went into Scottish traditional music. Um, we, we made a change in 89. We changed the band's name and the slight direction of it. 
But we were already moving in that direction. And these were all traditional songs she taught us. Well, and that was where I was going with my next question. As I was reading the bio about the band, I know the two of you, Bob and, and Dudley, were both in a variety of bands mm-hmm. growing up and initially in the folk era, as you mentioned, or the folk genre. And then in 1989, when Jan joined the band, I believe, you did make that switch. Well, she was actually in the band for about six years before that. Was she? Okay. And she kept pulling us in that direction. She's she's even more <laughs> folk-based than we were, and she was very much into the British-European folk songs, Water is Wide, uh, Barbara Allen, things like that. And a lot of those songs have Scottish roots. Uh, I also was a big fan during the 70s of Steel Eye Span and the JSD yeah. band out of Edinburgh. And, you know, people like that were just, I thought they were the most wonderful thing because they used, again, those big harmonies with acoustic instruments. Um, and, and it just, it was a, a real passionate thing that you didn't hear anywhere else during those days. You, you certainly didn't hear it on American radio. But we could get it on certain, certain places would play it and we would listen to those programs. So we already had an exposure to that through my grandmother and through our families. Our family doctor, our music teacher at school, and my grandmother used to get together every year and play burn songs for the kids in school. And he would read at Halloween every year. He would read Tam O'Shanter and scare the jeepers out of <laughs> out of the kids. They had no idea ninety percent what he was saying, but he was so expressive, and he had that big brogue. And he just, I, I told his daughter this years later, and she said, "Dad did that. <laughs> Sounds just like him." But she she had no idea. Uh, and she's younger than we are, so she wasn't in those classes that they did that. But that was a big influence on us, and we've always had a traditional connection, well, our connection to the traditions of Scotland because of our family. Is that the Scottish connection then for the band, is through your grandmother, or does everyone, well, of course, the two of you are brothers, yeah. so yeah. do you have some Scottish background as well? I so do. is there through that my, commonality? Through my mother, absolutely, yeah. They're a big McDonald family, and, you know, uh, she's got Welsh in her as well, but the Scots is very strong. And it was a natural thing because she had that inclination already when we just got to a point where we felt like the band as it was, uh, which was called Charmer at the time, really was not going anywhere. It wasn't doing anything, and it was getting harder to get together. And so we... we and pop sh- folk was kind of... Yeah, know, it was kind of passe. Or... We'd been out on the road for a while. We came back to find... Not much happening for us. So we went into that, and so Jane was a, very much a big part of that. Uh, even the name, even though it's, it comes out of our family, Bob and I's family, it came from her. She said, one night we were trying to think of a way to change the name to be more Celtic, and she said, well, why not Smithfield Fair? I was sitting there reading about the execution of William Wallace, which was at Smoothfield or Smithfield in London. Right. And, and the day that he was executed... They had a fair because uh-huh. he was portrayed as a, as a monster. So that kind of uh, took into it. And, and then another part of our family founded Smithfield, Virginia. Uh, came here on a land grant and founded wow. Smithfield, Virginia. So it, it got us on both sides, and we said, that's a good name. That's why we're such hands. Yeah. But yeah. that's so that's you know, that's a drum riff in case you that's don't right. know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember those. I don't yeah. remember those people. That's okay. I don't remember much on the bass either, so we're <laughs> even there, Bob. But it was that was that was how we kind of we, we came together. Uh, we began to move more and more. We were a great trio uh, from the get go. She joined in '83. Really, just absolutely complemented each other. But the repertoire always had that British 
connection in it. Mm -hmm. And we kept that until we just began to move more and more to it as a focus. And in 89, we changed the name and said, let's go this way. So is Smithfield Fair today, again, reading the bio notes on your website, there was a suggestion on the website that you're moving away from the Scottish and more back a little bit to your to the folk roots. Are, are you a folk trio that plays Celtic music, or do you consider yourselves to be a Celtic band that also crosses over into Southern folk? I, oh, go ahead. Well, I vote for the latter. I don't know what the guys think. But, <laughs> uh, we we so we were so riveted by our Scottish heritage and so enamored of it when, especially when we discovered how much of it was at our fingertip through the internet, uh, through Scottish festivals, and our travels over there, that we just immersed ourselves in it. What has happened in America is that the, the economy tanked so many of the festivals and so many of the events, even burn suppers, even St. Andrew's dinners, all of these things are now, they've, they've run out of money, mm-hmm. and they're, they're going local. And so it, it blocked us out of performing at a lot of places. And so we still are writers. We're still writing about our personal experiences that are many non-Scottish personal experiences, sure. just mm-hmm. generic, um, you know, how you life go stories. through life, life stories. Sure. And... Um, and we wanted a place to do those, and and we really didn't want to do them at Scottish festivals because we wanted we're very purist, very purist, in presenting Scottish themes, Scottish music at Scottish festivals. And there are people who want to hear our other, other yeah. our folk music side. They want to hear that, and they request things at the Scottish festivals, and we kind of shoot doing that because. You know, really, I mean, we're there for Scottish music. Sure. We're there and we enjoy playing. We're just looking at a list of some of the songs and stuff that we're doing for the upcoming uh, Celtic, Celtic Festival. And it was kind of like, you realize how the weight of the tunes and stuff that we, we have to play, if we haven't gone much further, it's only because we haven't had the venues to play. Well, exactly. Yeah. And well, there was one other thing. We always play Scottish music at at non-Scottish events. We rarely play our original personal music at a Scottish event because we keep it very Scottish. Except for 20 for 20, which is all of our Scottish traditional music that we wrote that, that you know, it's well, gotten well, play I, and some things yeah. like long ships, people think it's a traditional song. But yeah, right. Well, the, the critique that we've long gotten on our, our albums is that the, the, the way in which we portray both Scottish traditional music and original songs written in Scottish themes and Scottish styles it is so workable that it's hard to tell which is which if you don't look at the credits on there, uh, which is a great compliment to us. Um, somebody said, if, you know, uh, they have the weight of 100-year-old songs on them sometimes. Uh, Jan's written several things that have gotten specific highlight because... They they say if I hadn't looked at it, I would have thought this was a traditional song. Greyfriars Bobby's that way. Um, they're just some songs that just resonate so well. Mm-hmm. It's been a long night on the beach. Rain and wind and sleet. Guarding the clock. 
Dudley had talked about that, the Highland Games, the Burn Suppers, the St. Andrews Dinners uh, across the country. Venues that Smithfield Fair has made a name of playing are dwindling. And you are telling me not just here in the States, but there's been a decline of Highland Games even over in Scotland. Yeah. Um, and that that's, in essence, 
What's the right word? It, it's cut short the ability for you guys to get out and get on the road and have your music heard. It has. Well, in 2003, we came from, we had just played a festival in Texas, a Scottish festival in Texas. And we were coming back and, and one of the band members said something about, wow, there weren't as many people there this year as there have been. And I said, well, you know, now that we mention it, there's several games that are, that are not on our schedule. We were out 40 to 45 weekends a year for years and we played almost we got to the point where we played exclusively scottish you know music and exclusively scottish events we just sort of let our original stuff if it wasn't scottish themed mm-hmm. we just kind of let it go but we still play scottish music we're just not strictly scottish music and that's where we moved apart but we did it because we began to realize that as you said the, there was a wane on the Scottish events, the, uh, they were some of the Scottish clubs and societies were closing. Um, it, it really was kind of spooky, but there were less and less games on the bill every every year. Uh, and I said in 2003, if we want to keep doing this, we're going to have to broaden back out. And that's when Winds of Time came in. It otherwise you get pigeonholed into doing only Scottish music, and if there are right. no venues for that. Then we're, the band stays home. And we're down yeah. here in Louisiana, where we are far away from most things. Uh, in fact, we went from having about four or five big Scottish events in Louisiana to having one. The Minden Darden Festival is the only one that's left. And you can't count, count the, the, the one in Monroe, which is a pan-Celtic event. Right. We're talking about Scottish events. And so if you, if you really focus on educating people on the Scottish uh, tradition and culture... Um, and you have no events to do it. You don't get out. You don't do anything. So we, you know, now we go and we do Scottish traditional music at other events and other venues. It's part of what we do and, and always will be. But, and, and I love some of those songs. I love doing them. And when we play them, I, it's, it's I, you know, my head goes into the clouds because I'm so enjoying it. But they found a couple of years ago, uh, they did a survey in Scotland and they found out, I forgot what the numbers were, but they had lost a significant amount of festivals, traditional festivals, uh, all around the country. Well, the difference in Scotland doing it and the difference in us was strictly that we wouldn't play in Scotland. There's not music like there is here in festivals. That's something Alex Beaton started years ago. But uh, in Scotland, there aren't there, the music there is for dancing and for piping competitions yeah. and fiddle competitions. The music happens in, in Cayleys afterwards, like at night in the pubs. And that's a very different thing for, you know, for us. But the fact that the two reasons cited for the wane on these games and events was uh, the economy. They they didn't have the money to do it anymore. Mm -hmm. And the aging process of the volunteers that have been the lifeblood of these events for years. That's happening in America, too. Yes. And those people are not able to get out anymore. And the younger people are not coming forward. Yep. Hence, a lot of events have gone to pan-Celtic rock um, to, to try to draw in younger audiences. It hasn't really worked that I've seen. Um, those kids are not significantly interested in any one Celtic culture. They're kind of interested in the big, they want to dress up, put on utility kilts and, and come out and kind of jump around a little bit and have a few beers or ales and then go home. Mm-hmm. Not something that they immerse themselves in. It's, you're right. They don't have an appreciation for, if they have a Scottish heritage, they don't really have an appreciation for it yet. And I came to an appreciation of mine very late in, in, nice. in my life. And yet now it's everything to me. Mm-hmm. And and we've seen the same thing. You're talking about the, the aging process. 
in you mentioned uh, thank you for that the Tartan Festival in Menden, Louisiana, which is part of put on by the organization that I'm part of, the the Scottish Society of the Louisiana Highlands, which in itself is, is it gives you a chuckle because. Our whole state's only 300 feet above sea level. <laughs> right. We don't exactly have we don't have islands, highlands, yeah. but anyway, they're highlands to us. Yes, <laughs> we fool the but, cows. Yes, <laughs> the coo, yeah. the coo, the coos are there. We oh, do have we, we do have a, a herd of coos there, but we see that very thing in our organization. Our membership is uh, is aging, and, and and we don't see younger blood coming in because right. you don't find. Now, maybe it's different in Scotland, but here in the States, I think you don't find that the younger people, if they aren't in a family that has traditional Scottish ties way, way back, um, I don't think you see younger people coming to their, their heritage and, and appreciation of that heritage mm-hmm. um, like in the generation that, that we are, of, I it's, guess. It's better in Scotland than it is here. Uh, it is happening. Well, they're brought up in it there, yeah, too. But there, it's not in the numbers here that we need to, to sort of continue this. But, you know, it, it really got to the point when the kilt movies of the 90s and Riverdance and things like that came, there was a huge wave of all things Celtic that people mm-hmm. just loved. And that really, in a very deceptive way, expanded. Boston. Yeah, there was suddenly this huge move, and you had industries over here that had never existed, and artisans going into traditional or Celtic-type things to, you know, to, to sell their wares at these sudden, you know, this sudden outcropping of these huge events that don't exist anymore. And a lot of those, those people have sort of, you know, gone away. It's still there, and that's the good thing. Uh, it didn't just vanish you know, overnight like Brigadoon. Um, it stayed, and, and there are still some wonderful artists out there that are making Celtic traditional uh, items to sell. Yes, yes. But, we, but we've also found, too, that uh, a, a large effect on the, what I call the tangible market of going to and seeing people, is that what's available on the web, what's available on TV, you know, concerts, things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember talking with other uh, band members about uh, how concerts have shrunk. You don't see the, the, the mega concerts like you used to because people look at that and they say, well, they're intimate concerts you can go to, and I pay X number of dollars more for an intimate concert with this artist, and so they're, they're, that, that promulgates more of that. But it's a prop sucker thing. They can get things that they want, go to the web, you can get anything you want, uh, souvenirs, Celtic art, anything like that. It's so easily attainable without having to go out to your doorstep. Mm. Yeah. And it's building a, 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 a type of shopper, if you will, a type of audience that they will listen to podcasts, they will listen to shows and things like that because they don't have to put themselves out. And I'm not saying good or bad on that, I'm just saying that's how it is. And we've seen it in our market, too. Well, I can relate that. It's totally off subject, but I used to collect a series, uh, a whole range of series of uh, World War II boys flying stories, mm-hmm. books, mm-hmm. Uh, pulp fiction, if you will. Mm-hmm. And when I started collecting it, I had to go to uh, find a used bookstore and then go browse through the used bookstore looking for the one or two titles they might have right. that were in the genre I was looking for. And I travel a great deal in my other business, in my professional life. And so every time I was in a different city, I would find, look in the yellow pages, find the used bookstore, go to the used bookstore. Now I can get on the web and go to eBay and find any title I ever wanted at half the price of what I used to pay for them. From anywhere in the world. And from anywhere in the world. You're exactly right. And so I can, I completed my collection and, and eventually stopped collecting 
I moved on to other interests, but I completed that collection and I became that type of shopper. I became sitting at my desk on my computer, looking at it online and buying online and never having an interaction with a bookseller or yeah, anything like that yeah. or visiting a used bookstore. And that was something that was a part of my life that I really loved. And yes, the same thing has happened with music because now you can sit at home and it's a lot like watching an NFL football game. Yeah, there's a great thrill to going to the game and being a part of the crowd and being there. But everyone knows you can see so much better and when you're sitting on your sofa with a beer and some chips on the table and watching it on your 52-inch TV. Right. See, the bigger picture and the scarier part is, is that as a fan of Haggis myself, you know, I have no need to go back to Scotland ever again because I can order tinned Haggis on the internet. <laughs> now I'm going to disagree. Oh, with, oh, I disagree with you there. Wait a minute. Wait because a minute. I very much feel a need to go back to. Uh, I've smelled that. To, I've smelled that argument I've, before. Yeah. And I've tried the tinned haggis, and frankly, it's not the same. It is not the same. There's yeah, some. There's right. some good tinned haggis. There. I, I, I know. If you're but, desperate. Uh, but but I, I I truly believe this. This is going to. There's. Uh, I come from the Japanese sword collecting side, and we've seen the same thing happen in our area where they used to have, uh, you went from finding it nowhere unless you advertise. They used to run advertising and go way out to the boonies to, to look at sorts of stuff. And then I found out that they were other guys who were like-minded. They started having these, quote, Japanese sword shows mm -hmm. just for Japanese art and stuff. Well, then they started getting lower and lower in attendance. And the reason was because so many were interconnected with, first, mail and everything else and then it was the web and now there are many of those guys one of them told me flat out he said i don't have to go anywhere he said i can go anywhere and he said in fact like you i finished my collecting he said I've, I've made my collection complete and now i can still go on and do and interact and everything he said i don't need to travel anymore yeah because we traveled all i flying up to chicago going over to the east coast all that you had to go where the shows were mm -hmm. where the effort now it's effortless and i think in a sense, that's where we are with the heritage movement, no matter what heritage, but the heritage movement in the U.S. It's so, um, there's a lot you can get on the web, which is wonderful, but there's not a lot of camaraderie en masse with that. You have to look for it because I will say, you know, I, I share with you your opinions about what technology has done, and yet yeah. technology can be good, and in my case, it has, I have friends in Scotland now that I met initially online, yeah. taking part in Twitter chats and things like that, mm -hmm. uh, and then went to Scotland and met them personally. And now they're as close a friend to, to me, and in some cases more dear to me, than friends that I've made through my lifetime sure. here in the States. And, and so it, there is a plus, and a, there's a give and a take, right. either way you go. Not to get, let's don't get too far off the music. Yeah. Um, back to the music though, you mentioned Dudley, that the band was broadening out because of the effect we were just talking about, crosses genres. What are the elements of traditional Scottish music that separates it from, let's say, American folk music? Well, um, let me sort of attack that from the side. Um, the difference between Scottish and Irish music, uh, this, will, this okay. will kind of make a point. The difference between Scottish Irish music is, for the most part, dance-oriented. Scottish music, for the most part, is story-oriented. Ah, uh, good point. And so uh, we've played with uh, artists like Andy M. Stewart and the Battlefield Band. And, and what we do is we, we stand around backstage and we tell stories to each other. And, and it's inevitable, but someone will say, um, 
you know that reminds me of you ever hear the story of and then that launches into a, a, a digression about this particular song that particular song or how these two are hybrids or they came from the same stock um, you'll find there's a song called Gypsy Rover um, is a lowland ballad don't let anybody tell you it's an Irish song it's not it's a lowland ballad um, and it tells the story of a woman who is uh, unfaithful to her husband to a tinker in the area and they eventually both die for it because the, it's a Scotland it's a good Scottish <laughs> song yeah. yeah everybody has to die here. death um, blade and famine must be a great Scottish yeah. song and, right. and then there's you know then there there are dance songs there's um 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 uh, skip we gaily on we go heel to heel and toe for toe what's it called um Marty's Wedding Marty's Wedding is written by a Scotsman in Scotland for a Scottish lass to dance to for her first recital, wow. her first Gaelic mod, uh, a long time ago. And people have tried to demand for years that it is an Irish song written by an Irishman for no other particular reason than he liked it. Um, there's become this sort of muddle in songs. There's a reason I'm not attacking the Irish, I'm just saying that's out there. People forget that folk music travels. Mm-hmm. Um, they, we were called minstrels. We were called, right. uh, you know, wayfarers. We were called travelers and tinkers, and, and we moved around. The tinkers carried the traveling folk in Scotland, just like it, travelers everywhere else. They're called gypsies because they thought they came from Egypt, but they're from Hungary, Romania. And they came bringing songs from that part of the country. Some of them were Celtic melodies because they had that cross-pollination there. But then you come over to Scotland, and if you're if you're on the move, you can get to Ireland fairly easy, or to England, and they're like bees on flowers, you know. They go and they get all this pollen from all of these different things. It's cross pollination, and they take it back, and it all makes honey, mm-hmm. and it's really good like that. What's different about folk in America than it is in Scotland? Age. Scotland's been doing these songs for. Hundreds and hundreds of years before America came along. And a lot of American folk songs have their basis and roots in the British Isles. Now, they also have roots in German and, and French and, and Scandinavia. All of the immigrant. But so much of America, because so much of America is Scottish American, British American, it's the biggest segment of American you know, socioculture um, that so many of the songs then, it, it, you know, it, it ensues in there, have that root structure in them. Um, so there's not as much American songs uh, without British or Scottish roots uh, there, as there are those with those Scottish roots. However, again, because musicians are very unfaithful to, to anything other than making a buck when they're on the road. <laughs> food. They, they food. will do anything. Food. Yeah, anything they're for, for the food. Food. We'll we'll food. We'll play yeah. for food. Yeah. That's right. What they do is they, you know, they mix things. And you go, you have to remember that, that the news was carried by, uh, by minstrels. And so what they would do is they would go to this town and they'd hear about a murder or a trial or something that was happening. And they'd say, wow, you know, that makes a really good story. And they're in the pub that night and they hear some guy singing a song. And they say, these words would work real well with that melody. Nobody cares at that moment where that melody came from. And he puts his words to it. It's a new song and it's back out there again. Uh, And so you have songs that are very similar in different cultures. The really interesting thing when you get to America is 
I think it's an even bigger mixing pot because of these all of these different things that came into it. But Scotland still has its own backbone as far as music is concerned. Um, and I think a lot of it comes out of piping. Uh, a lot of great pipe tunes were written by a fiddler named Scott Skinner. So there's still a, a, a give and take and a trading process on that that you're going to get in Scotland. But so many of the songs in Scotland are based upon the melodies that you hear in bagpipes with its grace notes and embellishments. That style of singing is keynote to Scottish traditional music. And the stories in Scotland, we all laugh about and say, there must be something wrong with this song. We, we do Glen Logie because at the end of it, he gives in and he marries the girl. And that's the end of the song. Well, we joke, and we have for years, there's got to be a missing verse here where ultimately <laughs> one of them kills the other one or they both die. Yeah. Um, but Scotland has a, a very dour and, and, and you know downcast sort of way of looking at things, even the uplifting stuff. And so that's a big con contention of, of Scottish music. The bagpiping has a big... I was going to say, the, the difference the in American and Scottish music, the bag. The bagpipes, sure. Yeah. I but also, the the, the it has a lot of... Uh, I find, possibly because of the bagpipes, I don't know, but there are a lot of fourths and fifths and in in, in less of the harmonies, the third and the sixth. So that you have that one. Wow. I was going to ask: drone. Eerie, is there, a drone eerie musically, kind of is sound. there a difference in the chord makeup and the structure of traditional Scottish music? Not, find, not really. No, I don't well, think. he played the bagpipes uh, years. Well, has, until he still plays them. I mean, but not. We don't perform right. with the pipes. He I does. don't wake her up every Saturday morning with the pipes. <laughs> He does, um, you know, local. We're local still embarrassed from some of those. <laughs> but I, you know, I play the accordion. But uh, like I said, I had a piano, classical piano background, uh -huh. so I transferred those skills to the piano accordion. And um, rather than the bagpipe accordion, yeah, that, I had, <laughs> yeah. had a hard rare, time with that. It's a rare back, yeah. bagpipe accordion. <laughs> yes. Oh, excuse me. Well, uh, think, but um, anyway, uh, I think the drone. Don't you? Yeah, you just touched drone, on the drone. Yeah. I think the drone right. in Scottish music is a big part of it. Yeah. That's why I play an open tuning. Uh, I was very influenced by Richie Havens, uh -huh. by Jimmy Spheris, by David Crosby uh, later on, and, and Michael Hedges, people that played in, in open tuning. Uh, and, and it works so well for Scottish music because it's got a drone in it. And there's always a drone in my music. And so in a lot of ways, what I play stylistically is a, is a mirror of the bagpipes. And sometimes we structure the harmony around that very... Mm -hmm center that core mm -hmm. of that which makes our sometimes our harmonies move and you know it's so it's not just quite a stack structure on there so that that has a lot to do with it too so when you sit down to write a new piece that is themed in traditional scottish music what is your approach to, to doing that? How does the band start to put that together? Well, in 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 Louisiana when you start to cook and they say what well, first you make a roux that's okay. the first instruction. Well, first you eat some haggis. <laughs> then you have a, a dram, and then you start. Yeah. No, um, I think for me, um, it, is, it is the first thing is being inspired by a story. Whether it's an, it ends up being an instrumental piece or it ends up being a song, there's a story behind it. I can look at on, on any given Scottish, Smithfield Fair, Scottish CD, I can flip it over and I look at the titles of things that we wrote and I can tell you exactly, well, that was inspired by mm -hmm. these stories. That's, um, I climbed 
uh, a, a particular hill uh, called Kregenturk in uh, Balwitter, where the, part of the McLaren clan are from. And when I got to the top, I was a bit winded, but I sat down on the top, and in my head was a song. And, and I, you know, I've, I've written that song down as a pipe tune now. It just came out as a pipe tune. But all of the history of that particular clan, the clan McLaren, um, is also in there somewhere. It's in what I hear and how I hear it. Um, and so there, there are always inspirations to me that come from stories, history, or just the way people are in Scotland that is different from anywhere else. We, we've so immersed ourselves in... in, in Scottish culture, just so enamored of it and uh, so so identified with it. Dudley even uh, taught, tried to teach Gaelic for a while. We, I'm trying, as we I'm learned tr- it I'm ourselves, trying to learn it yeah, myself now. As we yeah. learned it ourselves and we had a, a little group going. Um, but the images, for me it's images. And I, I have one tune called um, Sheep in the Road because we got stuck behind sheep uh, crossing you know, a run cross, or one track, yeah. Yeah, and um, all we saw were the backs of them swinging side to side, <laughs> and so <laughs> mesmerizing. I, really, and, and an I image. picked, I picked up the accordion, and, and the, the pieces da 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 da. Well, your hand moves side to side as you play it, so the what you write really becomes part of what you've seen and heard and and are thinking about. And there's another one called uh, I wrote called Piper's Played. Uh, and the tune moves the way that I imagined the, as I saw rather, the, the play blowing in the mm-hmm. wind uh, while he was playing uh, out on the hill somewhere, just Jan, in the yeah, middle of nowhere. Jan, it was just should write, Jan should write a, you know, things to do when you're stuck in a lay-by. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, um, it just... It's for me. It's specifically Scottish, and that goes back to when we were talking about the word Celtic. One of the things that's happened uh, in America, America prides itself on its melting pot, on its mm-hmm. blending, and but when you blend, you do get something good and new, but you you also lose, lose something. Yes. And we just love Scotland so much. We didn't want to lose Scotland in the mix of anything, and so we just immersed ourselves in that culture. Um, which is really all we're interested in, really. But well, <laughs> to I, I, tell no, you the truth, I don't know how else to say it. No, and believe me, you're preaching, you're preaching to the choir, right. and it's so refreshing because I, I, yeah. I have immersed myself with my dream of moving there and making it my home, sure. and I have literally tried to immerse myself to where I, I write sometimes on Facebook and social media, I'm writing Scottish, uh, sure. I'm talking Scottish, and, and I'm sure that most of my friends... Um, in the Shreveport area, you know, they see me coming and it's, oh, no, here he comes again to talk about Scotland. Yeah, you, you know? know, I think there were a few of those uh, in Baton Rouge. Yeah. So, you know, it's good to be around kindred, uh, kindred spirits. Yeah, but the rest but the rest of it mechanically-wise, we played together for so long, we just realized, I remember some guy we played with, we played with the Washington Squares, we toured with them a little bit to the south, and they were kind of a, a revamp Peter Paul Mary-ish kind of stick. Kind of revved up. Yeah, yeah revved up. up. And uh, frustrated punkers, I think. Anyway, uh, but one <laughs> of the guys punkies. said, he said, man, how, how do you guys, you know, how, how do you put things together? I mean, you know, how do you get the you know, vibe in there? And I told him, I said, 
I don't know. We just, you know, one of us comes up with a song, the others kind of join in. We play together for so long that mm, we recognize it's a jump the, on process yeah the jump yeah. on process and it's a it's a strain uh, a harmony strain that you feel in there and and one person no 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 let's do that try this and then when you try the other harmony with it whether it's above or below because sometimes i'll sing above jam sometimes below jam on there and it's uh it is kind of fun we always thought the three-part harmony was the most kind of really interlocked type to, to, that you can do and they support each other and then whatever we play one of our producers said he said y'all y'all really don't have much room for anybody else in there y'all are because you're writing for the three of us to play right you know and uh even though we've you know, been in the foursome before it's it's the you know, the three part and so whatever we're playing on the instrument you know bears that up and so you know and hopefully when we come out of it it we've got a great structure we've got a great harmony we're real satisfied but we've also found that after we played them on the road a bit that kind of changes things lock in a little bit more succinctly and and uh you feel a little bit more comfortable and sometimes it does change some of the the, the lines in there the, the way the, the way i would approach a bass part or the way we approach a rhythm on there you know we find it works better I want to ask you about a couple of specific songs. Uh, and due respect, I love your music. I was listening to it. You mentioned you did, uh, what's the song, Glenn Lugie? Glenn Lugie. Yeah. Glenn Lugie. I listened to that on the way down, the drive down to see you guys today. And, and I do. I'm enamored of your music and love it. But <laughs> there is something that you do to the Bonnie Bonnie Banks of Loch Lomond that I oh. just do not care for. I, and I don't know what it is. Are you are you doing something I mean, in a, in, in a minor version? Yeah. Is it in a minor? Is that what it is? Yeah, there are two versions. One, the, the traditional version, and the one that you probably don't care for because it is a little controversial, and we've heard people love it and hate it. Uh, I, I spun it into minor key. That must because, be Because it. uh, it's a tragic song. And it too is. And often it's, uh, it sounds like a... A German a tramping uh, song, you know, yeah. Yeah. a <laughs> double guilt song. Too. Yeah, it sounds like you know you're in a bar swinging the swinging the Stein, and it's a it's a tragic song, and it's a and so I threw it into minor key it, and it's to a, give the um, to give it what I thought was its due flavor, but you know lyric, it's not yeah. for every to the lyric the yes. lyric and, and it is there, it's a beautiful story behind. The, the lyric, which I had right. not heard until recently, right. uh, about the two soldiers that were captured and trying to get back to his loved one, and one knows that he's going to die. Yeah. And, and the low road, road is is death. Yeah. Right. And, and the high road is the one who remains alive and, and is able to right. go back to Scotland. Yeah. And I, I never knew that about the song. But I guess I have not heard your traditional version. I'd love to, because I, I, when I got the CD and I listened to that, and I thought, oh, I just don't like. It there's just, something not right, and I just don't <laughs> like it. Did you have your Did you have your dagger tape to so that when you get that out, you can yeah, go ahead and you know, yeah. I, I pulled the dirk out and started <laughs> to go to work. I on bunny banks and I on bunny braids when the sun shines bright on Loch On the body, bunny, bunny banks of Loch Lomond. 
on the bunny, bunny banks of Loch Lomond. Twas there that we parted in yon shady glen on the steep. Me and my
you listen to these stories, we go back to the idea of stories. Um, because we're singers first, all of us, all three of us are singers first. And, and we like harmony and we like working together. And there's something about the three of us that over the years, it, it always comes back to this trio. It, it always seems to work best for us. When things have been troubling, we sing together. When things are great, we sing together. So it's a, it's, it's a very conscious thing. That particular song is one of those songs that we like singing it. It's really interesting to sing. But when you start thinking of the story behind it in the words, the tune doesn't fit. So Jan came up with the idea of doing this in a minor key and, and giving it that spooky kind of quality. And the, after we released that album and we went out, uh, a very dear Scottish friend of ours said, I don't like it. Yeah. I, I, don't I like and and said yeah. and, and said because I know it's a sad tune, but it's it's like that old Harry Chapin song. Red flowers are red, green leaves are green. There's no use to see them any other way than they always the way they always have been seen. And so we went back to it after a couple of seasons of, of doing that. It just didn't get the response. That we Although thought. I had I did have people tell me. That's the way it should be. So you get you now get that both, you've explained you it to me. It. Yeah, uh, yeah. I already, without hearing it again, I have a better appreciation for it. Just, yeah. But it was just hearing it. You cold still don't and, like it, but <laughs> well, it's all right. No, it's okay. It was. I, uh, I couldn't sing to it. I couldn't get into the minor. Yeah, that was the problem. I couldn't sing with you. Well, you um, need to learn how to sing minor. Then. Well, I do. Yeah, I should, I should have some lessons. It was. Uh, it was an artistic uh, moment for me. It was an artistic license I took, probably because I'm. I am American. Yeah. And that's what we do here. We do sort of what we want, you know, and it's not always a good thing, but uh, we have that, that, that sense of artistic freedom, even with tradition. Now, another thing I did, although this has come off um, more positive, one of my favorite poems in the whole world is My Heart's in the Highlands. Mm. My Heart is Not Here. And so I thought, oh, I just want to sing it. That's the most beautiful poem. I want to sing it. So I started looking for the melody. Well, Robert Burns uh, many times took popular melodies and put the, the lyrics to it. Uh-huh. Uh, he didn't like what he chose. And I thought, hmm, well, I didn't like it either. But he, it was time to submit it to his publisher, so he did. The publisher didn't like it. So then the publisher, after a while, found another piece, and uh, they published it. Well, I didn't like that one either, and a lot... It what they were, uh, and it doesn't almost get sung like, because of that. It was it, they're almost like Broadway show tune melodies. They were very hard to sing. They went all up and down the uh, you know the the, the scale, songs. and they were like art songs. And it didn't fit to me because the poem itself is in folk uh, rhythm. It, it's written as though it is a simple ballad from the hills. And so it didn't work with this this high art musical form. So I took it and gave it a folk, a very simple folk melody. And I, it's just, it's easy to sing. People sing it immediately. People that know the words especially are able to, because it's the same melody over and over. Mm-hmm. And just like a folk song should be. So, you know, I took, I took my artistic license with that. That was more successful than Bonnie Banks. Burns, actually, that's, Burns didn't write the, the no, main verse the, that we call the chorus. My heart's in the highlands, my heart is not here. My heart's in the highlands, a chasing, chasing the deer. deer. Yeah. A chasing, chasing the, the wild deer, deer following, following the, road. the road. 
our hearts in the highlands, wherever I go. He heard that from somebody else in the highlands singing that to a, you know, just some mumbled sort of tune. And he wrote that down. Then he wrote the other verses to uh-huh. it. Burns was, and I tell people this all the time, if you don't understand the value of Burns, think about it this way. Robert Burns was not so much a creative entity. He was not a good fiddler. He did not play music. As far as I know, he wasn't much of a singer either. He wrote lyrics. But what he did was he saved things. During a time where it was important not to be Scottish, but to be British, Burns did two exceptional things. One was he saved things. He found bits and he expanded them so they would survive. And the other thing is, is he did it in broad Scots which was not really well thought of at the time that he started doing this. And suddenly it brought back a feeling of nationalism to people in Scotland at that point. And that made it very, very valuable. And so this is basically the the process continues. Burns found something. He added to it. Uh, Jan added something to that. And so it, it makes a lot of difference. Uh, he Alex, actually came to me in a dream yeah. and gave me, that, gave me that folk melody. Finally found it in heaven. After eating haggis. <laughs> <laughs> and a wee dram or two. Yeah. 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 And Jan said, what are you doing here? He said, well, this is my, my night out. So yeah. you know. We got Alex Beaton to do something that, as far as I know, he's never done on anything uh, else uh, with any other artist. He sang with us on a track that's on 20 for 20. He sang My Heart's in the Highlands. And he said he always liked it. He said he just he thought it was a wonderful mel- melody, although he said he'd rather hear Jan sing it. <laughs> and for those who don't know, uh, who is Alex Beaton? Alex Beaton is a, a Glaswegian that came over here uh, prior to the Vietnam War. Uh, he got drafted. He's from Glasgow, came over here, became an American citizen, and got drafted. Welcome to the USO. Yes. <laughs> he went to the Army, and they put him in the USO, so he went to Germany and entertained the troops over there. When he got out... He didn't know what he wanted to do, and he was in the South, and he kind of kicked around a little bit. Who's and he heard bands? about, yeah, well, he was in the, you know, the Cumberland Three. Martin Alford told him one time that he remembered Alex because they were the ones that knocked him, knocked the Beatles off the, uh, the charts at that time. It was not Martin Alford; it was the Beatles. But Martin Alford said that he remembered that, and he has that single. But Alex uh, basically went up to the Grandfather Mountain Games and said. I'm Scottish. I know these songs. Let me play at the games. And they said there were no, um, there were no, non-piping or non-dancing music. Um, yeah, they, was they said there's no music at games in Scotland. There'll be none here. And he said, okay. So he went down into Linville, which is right down the, the mountain from that, and he rented a sound system and a tent and set up on the corner and he started playing Scottish songs. And he drew such a huge crowd, very positively for it that the Grandfather Mountain said, hmm, this is something we need to consider. And the next year they brought him up there. And the reason that we have music at Highland Games in Scotland is because of our friend Alex Beaton. And everybody owes a debt of, of thanks oh, to him for doing that. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's huge. Because it's an yeah, industry just, unto itself over here, the music at Highland Games. He's yeah. never gotten the credit that I think he's due for being, he did it. He's the one that started uh, music at the Highland Games that was not just the pipers or the dance music. Or instrumental. It was, it was folk. Yes, it really was. It really, it really was. The story songs of Scotland. My heart's in the Highlands. My heart is not here. My heart's in the Highlands. A-chasing the deer. A-chasing 
the wild deer and following the roar My heart's in the highlands wherever I go Farewell to the highlands, farewell to the north The birthplace of valour, the country of worth Wherever I wander, wherever I roam The hills of the highlands, forever I love Oh, my heart's in the highlands, my heart is not here my heart in the highlands, a chasing the deer, a chasing the wild deer and following the road. My heart's in the highlands, wherever I go. My thanks to my very special guests, Dudley Bryan and Jan Smith and Bob Smith. Together, they are Smithfield Fair of Baton Rouge, Louisiana. My time spent with the trio was so enjoyable, it can't be contained in a single episode. So next time, we'll continue our visit with these outstanding singer-songwriters, and we'll hear an original composition they put forth as a potential national anthem for if and when Scotland votes for independence. For more about the band, visit our website and see the show notes at www.underthetartansky.scot. 
And if you enjoyed this episode and the music of Smithfield Fair, please invite your friends to give us a listen. Until next time, I'm Glenn Moyer. Tavalev, I guess Oliver Kubra. Under the Tartan Sky is a production of Glenn L. Moyer Creative Communications. Learn more on our website at www.glennlmoyer.com. For show notes and more information on this and all Under the Tartan Sky episodes, please visit our website at www.underthetartansky.scot. And while you're there, check out our online shop where you can buy exclusive Under the Tartan Sky logo apparel and other items. Have an idea for a future episode? Well, get in touch via email at info at underthetartansky.scot. Visit and like our page on Facebook and follow us on Twitter, where our username is at underscore Tartan Sky. That's the underscore symbol Tartan Sky. And thank you for listening. <laughs>